daily Bible reading to Daniel chapter 2. And as I read this account, um, I was reminded of how much of a praying man Daniel was. Um, But before we start tonight, I'd like to open in prayer and then I'll give you some details about Daniel and his prayer life, okay? Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus and I thank you for this opportunity that you've given me to share your word tonight. And Lord, I in and of myself am completely unfit to be able to stand here and to be able to preach your word. So Lord, I ask that you might give me the right words to say. And I pray that you would be with each and every one of the people here this evening. Lord, you know that they have many things on their hearts and on their minds. And so Lord, I pray that you might uh, ease those things and clear their minds and help them to be able to listen and to get everything that you would have them get out of this message. Lord, help us to truly be able to learn from your world, your word, what it means to have a strong prayer life and the effects that it can have on us. And Lord, please just be with me once again as I open up your word and I preach. And Lord, I'll thank you for it all. And it's in your name I do pray. Amen. By way of introduction, I'd like to tell you that in the book of Daniel, there's three instances in particular where the Bible specifically talks about Daniel and his prayer life. The first instance is actually the source of the message tonight. And this is the first situation that Daniel finds himself in when he's in the land of uh, Babylon. And he finds himself on the verge of actually being murdered, along with all the rest of the wise men in Babylon. And so there's a man by the name of, um, I'm going to pronounce this right, Arioch, who comes to Daniel, and Daniel says, why do you come to me in haste? And Arioch tells him, he says, there's been a decree from the king, that every wise man is to be killed because they cannot tell me the interpretation of the dream I had and they cannot tell me the dream. And so in this instance, Daniel finds himself on his knees with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, praying that God would show them the interpretation of the dream. The second instance that Daniel gives us where Daniel goes to his knees in prayer is when he finds himself having been told that he cannot worship the Lord, that the only person he can worship is Darius. But even still, the men that were trying to get a hold of Daniel to get rid of him from the position he was in found him him on his knees praying. And then there's a third instance in the book of Daniel, which is at the latter end. And Daniel's grieved, he's confused, and he has this desire to know this vision that God has given him. And so in this instance, Daniel once again falls on his knees and begins to ask the Lord that he would show him what the interpretation of this dream is. But as he does so, he begins to repent of his sins and the sins of the people. And if you, if you want to know the type of prayer life you ought to have as a Christian, you need to look no further than Daniel. And then one more thing I'd like to give you by way of an introduction is that Daniel prayed three times every day. If you go to the second instance where you read about Daniel praying, it specifically says that he prayed three times every day, and then it says that he had been doing so. And so when we look at Daniel tonight, we see a man that saturated his life in prayer. And we see that because of those prayers, it moved the heart of kings, it changed the course of history, and it put him in a position where he could influence entire nations, entire kingdoms for the cause of Christ. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to dive in to 
what it is to have a powerful prayer life. To, to get a hold of, this is how I ought to pray so that I can truly see the power of prayer. And so the first point is going to come from uh, verses 13 through 18, which is the very start of uh, this portion of Scripture. Well, that is our um, main text. If you begin reading in verse 13, this is what the Bible says. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king, Captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Then they would desire mercies, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, underline the word desire that's found in verse 18. Because this is what we're going to use as our first point. And I have it up on the board. Do you desire to speak to God? When you look at Daniel in the book of Daniel, you see time and time again where he has this ever-constant desire to talk with the Lord, to go to the Lord and ask Him for counsel, to go to the Lord and ask Him to intervene, to go to the Lord and to ask that He would show Him something that He didn't know. And so I want to ask you tonight, do you have a desire to talk to God? But not only that, why do you have a desire to talk to God? Do you have a desire to talk to God only in the times that you need Him, just for a quick fix? Or do you have a desire to talk to God because you know that God can help you in any situation in your life and that a constant desire to talk to Him is going to give you everything that you need to face anything and everything that comes along your path? Because that's what is found in the life of Daniel. He had a desire to talk to God because he saw that he needed God. There's two things in particular that he points out later on in this passage. And if you go to verse 20, we find those two things. And it's these two things that almost consistently stay on the mind of Daniel. Because in his position, in his authority, he needed these two things. So he had this desire to go to God to ask him for these two things in specific because they affected everything that went on in his life. And it's these same two things that affect everything that goes on in our life. The first of which we'll find in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 20. It says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, underline for wisdom and might are his. The first thing that I want to talk about tonight, under desire, is that God can give wisdom. So let's go back to what I said earlier. Why do you desire to talk to God? Do you desire to talk to him just for a quick fix? 
Do you desire to talk to him whenever you need him? Or do you desire to talk to God because you know he is the one who is the embodiment of wisdom? He is the one who can give you wisdom on decisions that you make. He's the one that can give you every bit of wisdom and knowledge that you need to be able to live a life that's whole and pleasing and honorable to God, to raise up children that will honor God, to be an effective Christian in the local church, and also to be an effective citizen of any given country. And for us right now, that's America. For anyone who may be watching, that may be another country. But if we have this desire to go to God because we know that He is the one who holds wisdom and knowledge, and it is by Him and Him alone that we'll be able to go into our own lives and find an answer for the things that we need by the wisdom that God gives us, then we can truly have that same desire that Daniel had. And so the first thing under this is personal matters. And I, I, I kind of listed it in an order of, I feel like, um, an order of how things should go, if that makes sense. So think about it this way. You have a desire to go to the Lord to give you wisdom in personal matters, okay? So whatever those may be, maybe a decision that you're trying to make on where you should send your kids. Whether it may be a decision on if God is moving you somewhere. Whether it may be a decision that you're trying to make on getting a different job or whatever the case may be. You need wisdom and you need guidance on that decision. Having a desire to talk to God and knowing that he's the one who has the wisdom that you need to make a decision that's effective is going to take you to a place where you realize, okay, in my personal life, in all the matters that come up in my life, I need to go to God. I need to have that desire to go to him first and foremost, to ask him to give me the wisdom and knowledge that I need to be able to make decisions that are right and have a good effect. But not just that. On my family. Not only should I ask for the wisdom of God and have that desire for personal matters, but also for in family matters. If you're the husband, if you're the head of the household, this should be something that is ever constant on your mind. Because you know that you need the Savior to give you the wisdom that you need to lead your house effectively. I'm not a husband, not yet. I'm not a father, but I know that God's word places an emphasis on men and their leadership in the home. And if a man can have a desire to beseech that the Lord would give him the wisdom necessary to really lead his home, then he can do so in an effective way that when he looks back on his life, he can say, I did what God had called me to do as a father. I went to the God of wisdom who could give me the guidance I needed to lead my wife and to lead my kids down the right path, to lead my home. And so not only do we see that we need this wisdom in personal matters and in family matters, but we need it in church matters. And like I said, it's this step-by-step process. If you can go to the Lord to get wisdom from him, to have that desire for wisdom from him in your personal matters, then the next step from that is in family matters. And it is families that make up the church. So then that's your third step. Is all of us going to the Lord 
and asking Him to give us wisdom in what direction He would have this church go. And we know that He's given pastor a vision. And so if we really want to get a hold of that, if we really want to know how to effectively carry out that vision that God has given to pastor and that God has given to this church, then we need to be ever constantly looking and asking that he would give us the wisdom on how to do that. Because without the Lord's wisdom, we're not going to be able to accomplish much. But if we're getting a hold of the Lord's wisdom on the decisions that we should make, then we're going to make those decisions that's going to help this church grow. It's going to help us as individuals grow. It's going to help our families and help this church. But not just that. There's the fourth one. Asking for God for wisdom in governmental matters. Pastor brought it up just a little bit earlier, and he said that our government is in desperate need of the Savior. And like I said before, it's the step-by-step process. It's us asking for wisdom of God to you know, get through the matters of this life and do so effectively. And then to do the same thing in our families and to do the same thing in our churches. But then the next step from that is to help us as we make decisions in what manner we should be involved in government. What manner we should be involved in those things that go on with government as a whole. Whether it be that we need to be more consistently praying for those that are leading us. Whether it be that God would pick some of us to begin to run for office. Whatever the case may be. Us going to him and asking him to give us the wisdom to help us know exactly what we need to do. Whether, like I said before, whether it be us just simply praying more fervently for those who God has put in positions to lead us. Or whether it may be us ourselves going and filling those positions. But we desperately need the Lord's wisdom in those matters so we know the right decisions to make. Because if we begin in and of ourselves to think that we know what's best, if we begin in and of ourselves to try to make, take matters into our own hands, I'll say that, we'll find ourselves time and time again on our knees wishing that we had gone to God before. Because we realized after we tried to do things on our own that it wasn't effective that it didn't bring something good in our life. But if we can get a hold of this desire to go to God, because we know that we desperately need his wisdom, then, like I said before, in our personal lives, we can take care of matters and they can be almost seemingly easy. We can effectively lead homes. We can effectively grow as a church. And not only that, we can effectively work with our government and through our government. There's a second thing that Daniel points out, and it's at the latter end of verse 20. It says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. The second thing is that God can give might. And the first thing that this has a relation to is the same as wisdom and personal needs. The might that we need as Christians to get through any need that comes our way. We in and of ourselves have a certain amount of strength and we know our limitations. But so often, instead of going to God who can give us the might that we need to get through those situations, we try to do it in our own strength. And so Daniel realizes, first of all, that he needs the wisdom of God to make the right decisions. But not just that, he needs the might of God to come around and to give him that strength to make those decisions. So often in 
in our own life, we struggle with making certain decisions and knowing if that's the right thing to do. But that's where the wisdom of God comes in to help us know. And then so often, sometimes those decisions, they're heavy. They're hard to make. But it's the might of God that comes around and gives us what we need to be able to make those decisions, to be able to take those steps, in a sense, taking those steps of faith. And so just the same with wisdom and its effect in our personal life, the same with might in our personal life, with those personal needs that we have, with those personal circumstances that come up, with those personal situations that come up that we desperately need the God, God's might to get through and to effectively get over. And then like before with wisdom, we find that that carries on to the family. How many times, for a lot of you men, can you remember where in and of your own might, at the end of the day, you said, I just can't. I'm too tired to spend time with my family. I'm too tired to spend time with my kids. I'm too tired to keep on leading. I'm too tired to keep watching for every opportunity that the devil tries to take to get into my home. When all you needed to do was get on your knees and have that desire not to just get the wisdom from God, but to get that might from the Lord that would have given you what you needed to continue. But not just that. For each and every one of us in our daily lives, in our walks with the Lord, how many times have we tried to do it in our own strength? When just like Pastor said earlier, God's standing there waiting. The only thing that we need to do is fall on our knees and ask. And he says that he wants us to come unto him because he wants us to know that he wants to help us and to be with us and to strengthen us and to give us those tools that we need to live whole lives that are pleasing and honorable to God, but also to live a life that's not filled with lots of slopes and ups and downs because at one point we say, okay, I can do this by my own strength, my own wisdom, but rather no. We say, no, I need the Lord. I need the Lord's help in this decision. I need the Lord's strength to be able to get through this. And rather than life just being this constant up and down, up and down, it can be more so of just a little up and a little down, and a little up and a little down. The Christian life isn't a walk in the park, but it most certainly, I don't believe for one moment, should ever be something where it's just constant hills and valleys, hills and valleys, hills and valleys. I think the Christian life that God really truly intended for us as believers is one that does have hardship because that's what life is filled with. Life is filled with sin and sin breeds hardships and pains. But if we can hold on to truths from the word of God, those hardships and pains seem almost insignificant to when we first looked at them in our own wisdom and in our own strength. And the things of life seem to not be as severe as they once were. Because we're not holding on to our own strength. We're not thinking, oh, I can do this in my, with my own knowledge. I, I can figure out a way to take care of this situation. No, you know every time that I need to fall on my knees and I need to ask for God's wisdom and his strength. And the third thing that it affects is the church. Like I said before, you got you working personally in your own life. And then the Lord working in your family. But then it goes on to the church because it is a church that is comprised of families. And the church desperately needs its Savior to give it the strength to step out in faith. So many times, churches have looked at something that God has given them to do. He's given them a task. And instead of saying, okay, we need the wisdom of God. 
we need the might of God to help us accomplish this. They said, no. We can do this by ourselves. We got this. If we as a church are constantly seeking the Lord's wisdom and the Lord's might, then those things, such as building the Family Life Center, which is $2 million and more, don't seem as big as they once did. Because we serve a God who's capable of doing far beyond anything that we could ever imagine or even ask. But if we're having this desire to fall on our knees and to truly get a hold of God, to truly get a hold of that wisdom, to truly get a hold of that might, then he's going to show us every avenue that's going to make that whole process of the vision that he's given us that much easier. And he's going to give us the strength to accomplish it. And so then, like I said before, with wisdom, it gets carried on to governmental needs. Our founding fathers place such an emphasis on the fact that this country was built upon biblical principles. And they placed an even heavier emphasis on us as a church being as involved as we possibly can. Because it is the church that acts, like Pastor said earlier, as a tether that keeps the world within a moral compass, that keeps the world from getting out of hand, that keeps the world from running rampant. And so if we can get a hold of the wisdom of God, if we can get a hold of the might of God, and we can effectively use that in our lives, personally, and in our families and in our churches, then the next step is being able to do so in government. And like I said before, whether it just be in prayer, whether it be in influence, going and talking to our representatives, or whether it be us running, whatever the case may be, beseeching that the Lord would give us wisdom and strength is going to give us everything we need in all four areas of the, all of those four areas. And like I said before, it will be as a step-by-step process. Us being successful in following the Lord in our personal lives. The families of this church being successful in following the way that God has intended the families to function. This church being successful in doing what God has given us to do. And then this country being successful in staying a hold of the roots that it was founded on. It's all of those things that get carried out if we have that desire like Daniel to get a hold of the wisdom and the might of God. And it's not just in those two things. It's not just in a desire that we find this. There's a second. It's in a hastening to speak to God. I tried earnestly to try to find an instance where Daniel was hastening to pray or where Daniel was hastening to do something, but I couldn't. And I don't want to add to Scripture. So what I did in turn is I looked at this portion of Scripture and I found two instances where two individuals hastily made a decision or they hastened to do something. And I said, okay, I can take the principle from this. And I can apply it to how we should be in our prayer life. And those two instances come from uh, verses 15 and verse 25. In verse 15 you read, He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. So the first instance we see that there's haste made from Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, listen, Arioch, you're going to go kill every single one of those wise men. You're going to do it now. It's going to be done. And he had him hastily doing that. 
And then there's another instance where you see haste. In verse 25, it says, Then Ariach brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. Two instances in this portion of Scripture where haste is mentioned. Now let's look at Daniel and his response to what he hears from Ariach and what he does thereafter. If you start reading in verse 14, it says, Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Ariach, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Ariach, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Ariach made the thing known to Daniel. So as soon as Daniel hears it, this is what he does. Then Daniel went and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. First thing he does as soon as he hears the news, goes to the king. He says, king, can you give me time? Second thing that he does. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, his companions. Verse 18. And they, that they would desire mercies of God, of the God of heaven, excuse me, concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So the Bible doesn't say that Daniel did this in haste, but it doesn't say that he stopped anywhere along the way. And I was sitting there like, I could use this, I could, I could use that. And I was like, no, I can't. I'm going to stick with when I actually hear the words haste. So you have two people, two secular men, hastily making a decision, right? There's a principle we can take from that. As believers, we should in haste go to the Lord whenever we need him. He should be the first person that we go to. Whenever a situation comes up, whenever we need advice, whenever, like I said before, we need wisdom, and wherever we need might, he should be the first person we go to. We shouldn't say, okay, I want to make this decision on my own, and then I'll go to the Lord after. No, no, no. You go to him in haste. You get to the Lord as quick as you can. You get onto your knees as quick as you can, and you go before the Lord and you ask him for his wisdom and for his might. But not just that. You ask that he might reveal and make known to you those things that you yourself do not know. And you may say, what do you mean by that? A lot of times in the Christian life, we pick up pet sins. A lot of times in the Christian life, we allow things to get in between us and God, and we don't notice them. And I've seen that time and time again in my life, time and time again in friends of mine's lives, and in my own family's lives. And so I know that it's something that happens with Christians. And so not only do we need to get a hold of the wisdom and the might of God, not only do we need to have that desire for that, but we also should hasten to speak to God so that we can get a hold of his ability to reveal those things that we do not know and to make known to us how we can deal with those things. And the same thing is true, like I said before, where it starts with us. A church is going to grow when its members are growing. Not only do we need to have that desire for God, for that might, and for that wisdom, but we also need to hastily go to him so that he can reveal to us and make known to us how we can get rid of those sins that are affecting our walk with the Lord, but also that are affecting the growth of the church. We as Christians need to have a greater, not just desire, 
but to have this, this haste about us to get to the Lord and to get a hold of him, to ask him to show us what it is that we need to work on, to ask him to show us how we can work on it. Because time and time again in this portion of scripture, I underlined it probably some 20 to 25 times where the Bible says to make known, to make known, to make known, to reveal the secret, to make known, to reveal the secret, to make known. It is God who knows all things, and it's the same God that knows all things that can do what for us? Make those things that we ourselves have not paid attention to, known to us. I mean, reveal those things to us, excuse me, and make known to us on how we can work on those things. And so not just in our personal lives, but like we said before, in our family's lives. And so there are times, well, actually, I wouldn't say times. It's probably an ever-consistent thing that we don't know as, uh, I'll say men's, you, men, you don't know what's going on in your wife's minds, your wife's mind, excuse me, and you don't know what's going on in your kids' minds, but the Lord does. And don't think for a moment you can't go to the Lord and ask him that he would reveal to you the way in which you could pray for them. Don't think for a moment you can't go before the Lord and ask him to reveal to you what you can do to help them when you yourself don't know. See, the Lord has an ability to see the heart of man. He sees everything that goes on. And don't think for a moment that you can't go before him and ask you to give you insight and the know-how on how to help when you yourself don't know how to. And not just that, in the church. Seek, and this is where it changes up just a bit. Seek that he would do so with your church leadership. There is a heavy, 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 heavy need for prayer to be found in God's people for those that God has given um, to lead. Because those are the people that the devil is always after. And it's those people that need every bit of insight that they can get and every bit of know-how that they can get a hold of on how to stave off the devil and stave off the world at any point that it tries to enter the church or any point it tries to enter their life. And if God's people are effectively praying to that end, that God would give leadership the insight and the know-how on how to look for those things, to see those things, and how to effectively take care of those things. A church has that much more of an ability to grow, not just in its number, but in its likeness to Christ, because it's striving as a whole, as a group, as a unit for one thing, and that's for the furtherance of the gospel. And so David realized that he needed insight and that he needed the know-how on how to act on those things. And so we need to carry that into our personal lives, into our family's lives, and into the church's life. And then, like before, we saw that it got, it gets, oh, I may have gone too far, excuse me. No, I didn't. <laughs> that gets carried on into governmental affairs once again, because it's a step-by-step process. I know that um, a lot of times it's hard to find a good balance when you preach not to get too much into politics or not to get too far into a rabbit trail. And I, by no means, am trying to do any of those things. The only thing that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to follow what the Bible says. And what the Bible says is that these truths 
should be consistent in our personal life. They should be consistent in our family's life. They should be consistent in the church's life. But it also should be consistent in the things that go on in government. Because God established government and gave them the right to rule okay, and to direct people. And in this country in particular, God has given us a greater fortunate, a, a great deal of fortunacy in the fact that we can affect it in a great way. And so if we truly have a desire not to just see a change in our own lives, in our family's lives, in our church's life, but to see a true change in America's life, then we need to be praying that God reveals to our leaders what things they ought to change. And that we're praying that God would give them the know-how on how to do that. So let's take it for um, let's take it in an instance where we have a representative who does not know the Lord as a savior. He's a good man, he's he has integrity, but we pray that God would give him the insight that he needs, okay, to continue to effectively lead, but not just that. To bring someone along his path, to share with him the gospel, and so that he can come to know Christ as a savior and truly have all the tools that he needs to effectively be in that position of leadership. Same thing for pastors or anyone who's in leadership, whether it be deacons. You praying that the Lord would give them insight on things that they need to change, that things they need to work on, and how they can effectively do those things. You doing the same, like I said, in your family. Asking that the Lord would work on you and on your kids and on your wife to give them the insight that they need to see things that they cannot And then for the Lord to give them the know-how on how to fix those things. And then the same thing for you. But see, that's the thing is it always starts with you. Your growth is dependent on your desire to talk with the Lord. Your growth is dependent on your hastening to the Lord to get a hold of him. To get a hold of that insight and that know-how. You as an individual in your growth will inevitably bleed over into your family's growth. And your family's growth will inevitably bleed over into the church's growth. And the church's growth will inevitably bleed over into a government growing closer to the Lord. This is the power of prayer. Prayer has this ability to change everything. It has the ability to change you to the innermost part. It has the ability to change your family situation. It has the ability to change the outcome of what's going on in a church. And it has the ability to change everything that's going on in government as a whole. But God's people need to have that desire to get a hold of God. God's people need to have that desire to hasten to him, to get a hold of him, to get a hold of those truths that we need to get a hold of that insight and that know-how. And so what I would like to finish with, and this would be your takeaway, is that you would commit yourselves to fervent prayer. In Daniel's life, we see time and time again where God's power is seen and that it's made evident through the prayers of Daniel. I told you before, three times a day, Daniel would fall on his knees to ask for wisdom of God. And for if I'm not mistaken, 70 years, God blessed Daniel in so many ways, putting him in a position to influence, like I said before, entire kingdoms. And his prayers changing the outcome of the things that were going to take place in the future. 
And it's those prayers, it's the power that was found in those prayers that we still read about here today. Everything that we need is in this book. Everything that we need as Christians is found in prayer and in this book. And if we can get a hold of a desire and a hastening to God, then it can make such a difference in our personal lives, in our family's lives, in our church's life, and then, like I said before, in our government's life. So I ask you this. Do you have a desire to see the power of prayer? And if you do, then your takeaway would be to commit yourself to fervent prayer so that you yourself cannot just read in the pages of the Bible of instances where there's a great instance of the power of prayer, but you yourself can see the power of prayer. That's all I have for you tonight. But I wanted to leave, I want to leave you with basically this last example. There's a man by the name of um, Daniel Nash. I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but Daniel Nash used to go before Charles Finney anywhere he would preach. And when he would, he would find a home and it would be a few days before. And he would commit himself to prayer. And I'm not talking about a prayer that lasts for just a handful of minutes. I'm not talking about a prayer where he fell on his knees and he prayed for about 30 minutes to an hour and said, okay, I'm good. I'm talking about a prayer where there is record after record of him not eating for days on end. Of him praying with such intensity the people he stayed with could hear him groaning with such a desire to see the Holy Spirit moving. And that it was by his prayers and the prayers of the handful of people that he could get together to pray with him that Charles Finney actually had the ability to reach so many people. Charles Finney was given, we know, a gift to preach. But it was the power of prayer that made it effective. It was the power of prayer that kept some 90% of the people that made decisions under his preaching consistent in staying with the decisions they made. I tried to get as much information as I could because I wanted to articulate to you how powerful prayer is and how much of a difference it can make. And the fact that it made such a difference in the life of America as a whole. Not just in Charles Finney's preaching, but in America as a whole. Because that preaching and the decisions that were made from that preaching is one of the great awakenings. It's one of those times that America got on its knees and realized its need for the Savior. It realized the power that's to be found in prayer. And that all comes from Daniel Nash having such a desire to get a hold of God, to having that hastening to the Savior as often as he could so that the Lord would truly move in a way that could be seen. Not just in that time, but in our day. And for as long as this world carries on, people will time and time again look back to the prayers of Daniel Nash and the effect that it had 
in the preaching of Charles Finney, and in the lives of those that heard him, and in America as a whole, and the effect that it had. If one man, one man, can pray so fervently and affect the course of an entire nation, tell me how much more can a church that really gets a hold of prayer, really gets down into a desire to get a hold of God, hastens every time they can to God. How much more of a difference can we make? There's 325 million people in America today. You know if a church prayed that every single one of them would be touched with the gospel before they left this earth? (laughs) It's every bit possible. That's the power of prayer. But see, where we lack is that we lack in faith, that there is that much power in prayer. But where do we need to look to see that power in prayer? Pages of this book. Where do we need to look to see that power in prayer? In our own history as a nation. I want you to leave tonight knowing without a shadow of a doubt that you can get a hold of God in such a way that it can make such a difference. Many of you are in retirement. Many of you have more hours than I have. Many of you have long mornings, long evenings to just commit yourself to prayer. Imagine if you did. Why don't I give you this and and we'll be done for tonight. Why don't I give you this? If you have the opportunity to, every morning, commit yourself to one hour of prayer. And every night, commit yourself to one hour of solid prayer. If you have the ability to. If you have the ability to do 30 minutes, then do that. But don't just say, oh, well, I, you know, I have this time and then I need to go watch TV. Or, oh, I got this time and I need to go do something else. No, 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 no. Really look at your time in your day and see, okay, is there a time that I can carve out? And this is literally the amount of time that I have. And this is the time I'm going to commit to prayer. And I want each and every one of you, if you can, to commit tonight to do that. And to really get a hold of the power that's to be found in prayer. And to see as God begins to change things here in this church. As God begins to change things in your life and in your family's life. And as God begins to change things in this country. Every day, I try to pray and ask God that he give me one opportunity to leave one lost soul to him. And to help one fellow believer. And without fail, either one of those have been the case every day. Either one, sometimes both. And for a while when I began to pray, I lacked the faith. I lacked the faith to know that God could do that. But when the faith was there, when I began to see it, I began to see the power of prayer. And every day, like I said before, without a shadow of a doubt, either one of those things happened. In a room of about 50 people, if we prayed that, and had the opportunity to witness to 50 people every day. What a difference we'd be able to make. Not just here in Withville, but in America. Because those people that we may have seen in passing that live somewhere else, they're going to take the same thing with them. And it's just going to spread from there. So tonight, remember that there is power in prayer. And that you can get a hold of that power through a desire and through a hastening to talk to God. And it's with that, I'll close in prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus and we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to be in your house tonight and to learn from your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in our prayers and in those times that we've carved out to pray. Lord, you know that we're fickle. You know that we fail and that we falter. And Lord, I just ask that you would give us that measure of might that we need to stay consistent, to stay in prayer. And Lord, I pray that you might do just a mighty work in this church that the people that have been here for years have not yet seen and the people of Withville have not yet seen and this world has not yet seen. Lord, I know you can. And so, Lord, I'm praying with as much confidence and as much faith as I can that that will happen. And Lord, I pray that you would be with each and every one of those here tonight. Please give them the measure of strength they need, the measure of might they need to stay faithful to prayer. And Lord, I ask that you might do a great and mighty work here. Help us, Lord. And we'll thank you for it. It's in your name I do pray. Amen. good word, isn't it? The power of prayer. I'm, I'm often reminded of what Leonard Ravenhill said. A Christian never rises above his prayer life. Whew. Man, that's convicting. We never rise above our prayer life. I have found, I, I don't know if it's true of all of you, I know with me, the hardest Christian discipline for me is prayer. I can read and study my Bible all day long. I can't, but I could. All day long. And, and my flesh does buck against it, but, but not nearly the way it does when I sit into prayer. Because when I sit into prayer, my flesh doesn't like that. And I think the reason for that is there's no one more single, more singly powerful weapon in the Christian arsenal than prayer. You think of guys like Joshua and Elijah, Daniel, and how God used prayer in their lives. It's a good word.